Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. If you have your Bibles or your biblical devices, I will ask you to join me. We're going to go to John chapter 9, and we're going to start... In verse 1, I'll be reading from the ESV. It says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We, we, Must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Jesus performed many miracles to meet our human needs. Still does to this day. But how many of you know that he also uses those miracles as a launching pad for a deeper message? In most cases, a spiritually rooted message. The physical miracle that Jesus performed on this blind man would not only give the blind man physical sight, but for the first time in his life, he would receive spiritual sight. And in our time together, I'd like to talk to you on a message that I've entitled, Mud Pies and New Eyes. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth and power of your word. Thank you for the precious gift of your son, Jesus, our supreme deliverer. I pray, Lord, that you would anoint my heart, mind, soul, and words to bring you glory today. I thank you for the privilege, Father, of being in your service. Speak to us, your children, in a way that gives us fresh revelation of who you are. Father, we love you. And may we forever seek to give you all of the praise, all of the honor, and all of the glory. And we pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. All right. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Can we give Jesus another round of praise? I pray that every one of you had a very Merry Christmas. And I'd like to first take this opportunity to thank Pastor Scott and Miss Kelly for the absolute privilege to speak with you today. Can we honor them as well? We are truly blessed and highly favored to have Pastor Scott and Miss Kelly, as well as Pastor David and his wife, Tara, as our pastors and associate pastors here at Midtown. So thank you guys for all that you do. Are you guys ready to get started? Okay, here we go. Through our time together, I want to warn you on the front end, I'm going to pose some questions. And these questions are not intended to be condemning in nature, but rather reflective. Okay? 
So everybody, say grace to you. Okay, so as I mentioned, this is the very first time I preach on Sunday, and this is big kid church, okay? I'm looking out, and I don't see kindergartners and first graders, okay? So I thank you in advance for the grace that you've just extended me. All right, here we go. A pastor, a Boy Scout, and a computer expert were on a plane. And the pilot steps out of the cockpit, and he enters the cabin of the plane, and he tells the three passengers there that the plane's going down. No power to the engine. The plane will crash. And he says, the problem is there's four of us, but only three parachutes. And the pilot says, I'm going to say right off the top that I deserve a parachute because I have a wife and three small children at home. So he grabs a parachute and he jumps. And the smartest man in the world steps forward and says, well, I deserve a parachute because, well, I'm the smartest man in the world and everybody needs me. So he grabs a parachute and he jumps. And the pastor looks over at the Boy Scout and he said, son, you are young. I am old. I've lived a very rich and fulfilling life. I'd like you to take the last parachute and I'll go down with the plane. And the Boy Scout looks up at the pastor and he says, relax, pastor. The smartest guy in the world just jumped out of the plane with my backpack on. <laughs> so the fact is, we can be like the smartest man in the world at times, right? We, we can sometimes see only what we want to see and we can sometimes assume and miss the obvious. And as we'll see in scripture today, the disciples miss, they assume the obvious for the desire to have this theological discussion on sin. And the Pharisees missed the obvious because they lacked true vision. The truth is, every single one of us, until we put our faith in Jesus, suffers from blindness. As we unpack scripture today, let's kind of set the scene a little bit. We'll read at the beginning of chapter 9, verse 1. It says, as he passed by. Now, on its own, that won't tell us a whole lot. But whenever we read scripture, remember, it's always important to read up, down, and all around so that we get a full view of scripture. So in the verse just before that, which is at the beginning, the end, rather, of chapter 8, we read, they, then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them. So Jesus has just left the temple court where he's been teaching for the last two chapters in chapter 7 and 8 of John's Gospel. And he's been interacting with these Jewish leaders. And they're not very happy with Jesus. Well, why not? Well, first of all, he had the nerve to heal an immoral woman, right? The woman caught in adultery. And then he rebukes them, right, as leaders, even calls them children of the devil. And so in, in return for their part, the leaders have mocked Jesus, called him a Samaritan, demon-possessed, and even went so far as to accuse him of blasphemy. This is why they've just picked up stones in an attempt to kill Jesus and why Jesus manages to pass by them. So keep all of that hostility and turmoil in mind as we progress through Scripture today. 
So in today's scripture, we read that Jesus sees the blind man, but the blind man doesn't see Jesus because the blind, he's, he's blind, right? So since birth, this man had only known darkness. He had never seen colors, never seen the trees, never seen the ground that he walked on. He had never even seen his loved one's faces. He's completely and totally blind from coming out of his mother's womb. And if we stop and look closely at this particular incident in Scripture, we can see that this blind man is a picture of us before Jesus. Blinded by sin so much so that we lack the capacity to truly see Jesus. But now, as we'll read in Scripture, the light of the world has stepped onto the scene and his intention is to change everything. So I want you to take notice of a few things. We'll notice a couple of things that are super important. You'll notice the man's faith began to grow as we read out this scripture. And also, you'll notice that the greatest miracle was not the opening of the man's eyes here, but the opening of the man's eyes here. Okay? So the disciples notice that Jesus notices the blind man. And they have to have seen the love and compassion on his face. And we would think that they would respond in kind, right? With love and compassion. But instead, they throw out a theological question. And they look to Jesus and they say, who sinned? And to make it simpler, what they're really asking is, whose fault is this? And we look at verse 2, it'll tell us his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They're choosing to make this man an object of discussion on sin rather than an object of mercy and compassion. Now we're going to pause right here because if we're honest, that sometimes can be us, right? Sometimes we are so quick to identify the sin in someone else's life without checking in on the sin in ours. Sometimes we pity people in their circumstance and condition without possessing the mercy and compassion available to us to help them through it. Now, why would the disciples ask this question, right? I mean, the guy's standing right there in front of them and he's blind, he's not deaf. Well, I believe that they're asking this question. I believe there's a couple of possible reasons why they're asking this question. The first reason is that the Pharisees and the Sadducees back then believed in prenatal sin, meaning they believed that a baby could make sin in the womb. I personally don't get it. it, it what does that even look like? Is it do you kick mom too hard, or is it that third day in a row with excessive heartburn, like moms? You know that's a real thing, right? And the second reason I believe that they're, they're thinking their question is legitimate is because at the time, many Jewish leaders also subscribed to this theory of uh, theodicy. And what that is, is a term that's not technically introduced until the 1600s by a philosopher, so it's named in the 1600s, but it's existed since the fall of man. And it's to wrestle with the age-old question 
that still exists to this day, we still struggle with, which is why would a good God allow bad things to happen? Answer, we live in a fallen and broken world. Since Adam and Eve, this is the condition of the world. So the disciples are asking Jesus what they perceive to be a legitimate question. And here's Jesus' answer, going back to Scripture. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So think about this for a minute. Jesus, the creator of the world, who knows anything and everything about all things, He knew this man before he was born. He knew when this man would be born. He knew where this man would be born. He knew what condition this man would be born in. He also knew where to find him. And he also knew that he had to do what he had to do in order to bring glory to God. So his answer is quite simple. His condition will be used to glorify God. And the second part of his answer refers to his physical time on earth and also our physical time on earth when he says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming, when no one can work. Our life on this earth, just like Jesus' life when he was on this earth, has a physical expiration date. Night will come, which is the time when we will be called home, and we won't be able to do any kingdom work on this earth anymore. Jesus began his ministry knowing that his ministry would lead to death. Time was so sensitive to the Savior. There was no time to waste in his mind. And so that we don't know that the hour or the day in which we will be called home. So shouldn't our time be just as urgent? See, as believers, we are called into service of the Lord. The clock is ticking. At some point, the sun will set. We will die. This means that all of the opportunities that we may have had to do good will cease as well. There won't be any reason for us to try to do good things in heaven, like evangelizing to people or healing people or laying hands on people. The people in heaven are the people who have received Jesus Christ. They are in a perfect environment. Life is good. So here's a second area for us to ponder on today. Jesus shows us all throughout scripture how urgent his ministry was. And if we are called to imitate Jesus and live for him, how urgent is our service to the Lord? How well are we managing our time advancing the kingdom of God? More importantly, are people seeing the ministry of Jesus in the way that we live our life? His last sentence, we see Jesus using one of the I am statements. There are seven 
I am statements in John's gospel. And if we go back to chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says it just like this. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And in Jesus' answer in chapter 9, when he responds in kind, he's not simply reminding the disciples of what he's just said, probably moments ago, but it's also a prophetic word that he's giving to tell them what he is about to do. He's about to release someone from complete darkness. Verse 6, back in the scriptures, Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva, Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Parents, look at me. As your children's directors, Angel and I can confidently say that spitting in eyes is not any part of our every Sunday service, okay? So I just wanted to say that in case somebody was wondering, right? Jesus makes a paste of mud And he anoints the man's eyes with the mud. And then he instructs the man to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And the Bible says that the man went and washed and came back seeing. If you're taking notes today, point one, obedience is most beneficial when it's immediate. And parents, I'm going to lean on you again right here. Back me up. How many of you, when you tell your children to go do something, are you asking them to do to do something, you want it done right then and right there. Show of hands, right? Okay, now, what happens when your child decides, according to their time of events, it's just not a good time for them, right? And maybe they don't do what you've asked them to do or told them to do right then and there, right? What happens then? Yeah, you might flash some leather, right? Okay, spare the rod, spoil the child. Well, like for me and my siblings, our mom was an assassin with a belt. So we learned immediate, like that was the safest bet. No matter what it was, we were going to get to it. So the blind man, though, in this story has every good reason to dismiss his sending. For starters, he was blind. And then this guy, Jesus, is asking him to walk a distance which is greater than what the Sabbath would allow. This happened on a Sabbath, which is a holy day of rest. And to top it all off, there's this Jewish festival taking place, the Festival of Tabernacles, which would require all adult and able-bodied Jewish males to make the pilgrimage trip into Jerusalem for this festival. So all things considered, with hundreds of thousands of more people now packing into Jerusalem, would be difficult to maneuver even for a person with sight. But notice his response to Jesus' command is immediate. He can't see Jesus, although he probably knows who he is. So he's heard of him. But he obeys the command to go and wash. And it exposes the depth of the hopelessness that this man has lived in because he went immediately. I don't know where you are in your walk, and I don't know what your story is, but I will tell you, I will be honest, that I've not always had the best track record when it comes to being obedient. So in 2016, it was prophesied over me that I would be a pastor. And immediately, I didn't do what the blind man did. I said, nope, it's not for me. I'm a cop. I'm going to do 25 years in law enforcement. 
I'm going to retire and I'm going to cut grass on a golf course. Hashtag goals. I know. It's, it's, uh, that's really truly what I wanted to do, right? And it was confirmed by many different pastors inside the OSC family. And I trust and believe, as do many of you, that they hear from God. So now I'm going, oh, man, they're serious. And so I start to prepare, but it gets really, really difficult in the preparation. So do you know I spent 2018, 2019, two years, because one year is not enough apparently, running from that assignment. And there were days that I flat out stomped my feet and said, no, God, I am not doing this. I don't want any part of being a pastor like, you have me in kids. It's fantastic. I love it there. That whole front stage thing with all the big kids and the big guys, it's, uh, no. And, and yet here I am today. I could have spared myself. Oh, it's all glory to God, right? The, the point of that story is to tell you that I could have spared myself so much heartache and so much strife had I just listened and stayed obedient when I first received the call. And here's a gospel truth for us to chew on, right? Faith requires action. Faith requires action. Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You see, the consequence of faith is the realization that according to God's purpose... We have a role, and that role is clear. We must act on the word of God as given by Jesus Christ. Jesus never told the blind man to go and wash so that he might his, receive his sight. Jesus only told the blind man to go and wash. He allowed the man's faith to do the rest. And what little faith the blind man had, he took it with him to the pool called Siloam and thereby received his miracle. Reflection question number three. What is God calling you to do right now in your life? What is it that's tugging at your soul that you know is from God, but you've not yet taken that faith that you have and put it into action. Picking up in verse 8, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. And he kept saying, I am the man, right? So they said to him, then how were your eyes open? Pay attention to this next verse as, as it will show the birth of this man's faith. In Jesus, he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. See, the man's sight has been restored and his faith has been ignited. But notice that he refers to the man here in Scripture. He refers to Jesus as the man named Jesus. 
So the people in Jerusalem, right, everybody who's his neighbors and friends that are gathered around him, they're confused. Was this really the blind beggar who sat here every day begging? Was it really him? And, and, and who caused him to see? They're so confused by this miracle that they would lean in towards a case of mistaken identity rather than believing that this man who was blind can now see. Why is that? Well, it's quite simple because nobody ever expected a blind beggar to be anything other than a blind beggar. These people have heard of Jesus and his miracles. But the way they were taught up, the way they were being taught, was holding them back and limiting their vision. They failed to receive the divine because of human limitations. Which brings us to point number two. Never put human limitations on a divine experience. What's really interesting in this story is that four times in this chapter, you will hear the question, how, 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 how? Wrong question. Right question, who? Not how, who? They're trying to figure out how this is possible when, in fact, they should have been focused on who made this possible. If we just keep trying to figure out the how, we'll never get to it. As we'll see in just a bit with the Pharisees, right? But when we understand the who, then we get the how. We need the who for the how. Everybody tracking? All right, verse 13. They brought the Pharisee to the Pharisees, the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him, here comes the wrong question again, how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. So the man who now sees is grilled with questions from his friends and then his neighbors and then now the Pharisees. And they're all so amazed and confused with this story that they take this guy to the Pharisees who are custodians of the faith. It was their job to challenge anything claimed to be divine are miraculous, right? They had to investigate. So this is what they're doing, is they're investigating. They don't necessarily fail to acknowledge the miracle that taken place, but they get hung up on the day of the week. It's the Sabbath day. So making the clay, applying the clay, and healing the man was a big no-no, according to the Jewish leaders. And according to them, Jesus had committed three unlawful acts of works on that day. Four, if you count spitting. You, you, no, seriously, do you know that it was against the Sabbath to spit on the ground? I didn't know that. It's crazy, right? 
So it must have been extremely tough to follow God in Old Testament days and having to follow all the Old Testament laws, right? All 613 of them. Yeah. But instead of praising God for this miracle, the Pharisees' intention, they want to gather enough evidence to prosecute Jesus. And it's all at the expense of a blind man who now sees. But the man is not intimidated by the religious leaders. When asked who he thought the man was, he boldly declares he is a prophet. Remember first, the man named Jesus. Now he says he is a prophet. And here's why that's important. Because Old Testament believers believed that prophets were from God and could do miraculous things. So in his response, this man is declaring Jesus is to be who he says he is. But the leaders did not want to give Jesus such a high designation. This man is not from God. So they continue seeking evidence to fully prosecute. Pulling out all the stops. Don't believe me? Look at our next verse, verse 18. So the Pharisees call his parents in. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then, there it is again, how then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So they call the grown man's parents in because who better would know, A, if this is their son, and B, if he was born blind. And the parents start off really good. Yes, this is our son. Yes, he was born blind. And then it's all downhill. This is their son. This woman gave birth to this man. She raised him. She nurtured him. She provided for him in extreme circumstances due to his blindness. And yet here they are, turning their back on God. Why did they do that? Because to choose Jesus was to choose to be excommunicated from the temple. What does that even mean? Well, that means you lose all rights and privileges associated with being a Jew, a child of God. It means you could use, lose your livelihood. It also means that your family would disown you. So the parents think, and they don't even have to think about it. It's really more of a, they knew that this price of being put out of temple was too great a price to pay, even for their own son. But thank God, literally, thank God, 
that he is so good and so faithful, he sent us a son. He sent us not just a son, but his son who stands up for you in any time, in any situation. Verse 24, so for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. So he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And here's a better question. How many times are you going to ask him how? <laughs> so he answered to them. He said, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> and they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And the man answered, and this response is beautiful. Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So the blind man gives them a theology lesson of his own. And did you see it in verse 33? If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. There it is. He's all in. He's accepted his sinful nature, believed in the Jesus that he just encountered, and all that's left for him is the confession of his lips. More than that, he tells the Pharisees, gives them a little history lesson on top of the theology lesson by saying, never in the history of man has anyone ever been born blind and then received their sight. So he's on a roll right here. And now it's the man who's baffled by the fact that the Pharisees could witness such a miracle and not give credit to the person who performed it. As we begin to close and wrap up today, the last few verses we'll discuss, starting in verse 34. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Oh, but Jesus. Jesus heard that they cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir? that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Which brings us to our third and final point. When the world pushes you out, Jesus seeks to pull you in. See, the man who now has his physical sight is face to face with Jesus. 
This is after Jesus found him for the second time. In his initial contact with Jesus, he couldn't have even began to describe what Jesus may have looked like. But that voice, I can't help but think that he recognized that voice. The voice that said, go and wash. Now ask him the most important question he could ever be asked. Do you believe? And the man's initial response is to say, sir, he didn't want to mess it up. He didn't want to give the wrong answer. And he says, who is that guy? And Jesus says, I'm that guy. I am the guy. And the man with brand new sight says, Lord, I believe. And he falls on his face in worship. The blind man gets the how because he put his complete faith in the who. By the confession of his mouth, Lord, I believe. The man's sight, not just physical, but now spiritual, is completely and fully restored. Look at me for a minute. Some of us, if we're honest, some of us are still spiritually blind. Some of us might have skewed spiritual sight. What does that even mean? What is spiritual sight? Well, spiritual sight is an inward revelation of the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you have no personal revelation of Jesus Christ, you are spiritually blind. All spiritual sight begins and is rooted in seeing and knowing Jesus Christ. Today we talked about the guy, right? The guy who sees you in the middle of your storm and with a word can calm the raging seas around you. He doesn't care how you got here. He doesn't care about the condition that he finds you in when you get here. You are here. And it's all the opportunity that he needs. He wants to break down the walls of religion and change things for you. What does he want to change? What does he want to change? Everything. Jesus changes everything. Can we pray? Father, thank you for your son, Jesus, God, that the freedom that he brings. God, thank you. As we close out this year, Lord, my prayer for us is that you would bring us brand new vision, God. Bring us the vision that seeks to glorify you. A vision that separates us from our sin and causes us to become kingdom-minded. I pray, God, that 
you would blind us to the mistakes and bad choices of our past. God, and I seek your presence for all of us in a brand new way. Help us, Father, to rekindle the flames of desire for you and you alone. Guide us with a supernatural wisdom that only you can provide and protect us, as your word says in 2 Timothy 4.18, from every evil deed until bringing us safely into your heavenly kingdom. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, if we'll stay in this posture right now, I don't want to miss the moment. Staying in the Christmas spirit, I want to offer you a gift. I want to give you an opportunity to receive your spiritual sight. I'm talking about 2020 vision. The year 2020 and the year 2021 have not been too kind for most of us. They've been very difficult and challenging. I'll admit I couldn't always see the events and circumstances surrounding me as a God thing. I sometimes needed to have my vision corrected. If you're sitting here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you into one today. You've been stumbling around in life, bumping into things because of bad choices or sinful desires. And today, you can receive corrected vision. Maybe you've given your life to Jesus and you just need your vision tweaked a little bit. Well, that said, in the same spirit that Jesus asked the blind man, I'd like to ask you the most important question that you could ever be asked. And that question is, have you been born again? I'm not asking if you've been christened or baptized. I'm not asking you to tell me whether you're Catholic, Protestant. The question is not an Our Savior's Church thing. The question is a Jesus thing. In John chapter 3, Jesus has a conversation with a man named Nicodemus who is a Pharisee. And Jesus tells him that unless you were born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Furthermore, he says, unless you were born again, you cannot even see the kingdom of heaven. You lack sight. Seeing the kingdom of heaven requires us to have kingdom eyesight. Please don't think of this as just a ticket to heaven because it's so much more. It's an opportunity for you to participate in advancing the kingdom of God right here and right now. Well, that sounds great, Marty, but how do I do that? Well, I can tell you what you don't have to do. You don't have to earn it. That's why it's called the free gift of God. It's as simple as three small things. Big things, really. Admitting that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Believing in your heart that what Jesus did on the cross is enough. And confessing Him with your mouth 
as both Lord and Savior. If that's you, I want to pray a born-again prayer with you. It's not the prayer that saves you. Only your faith in Jesus can do that. And if that's you, if you want to be included in that born-again prayer, if today is the day that you want to receive your sight, on the count of three, I just want you to slip up your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you or ask you to get up out of your seat. I simply want you to raise your hand. One, some of you have strained to see for so long. It's time to do something about it. Two, there's a quickening in your spirit right now, asking you to reach for change. That's the Holy Spirit finding you in your condition on that street corner and pointing you toward Jesus. Three, raise your hands high. Raise your hands high. Thank you. Thank you. It's Jesus. For those who raise their hands, you've just made the best decision of your life. And we're going to pray a prayer together and invite our regular attendants to join us in it. If you raise your hand, repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me, so I would not have to go. I believe that you rose on the third day to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from sin to be born again. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen.